G'day guys, Kerry here from the Trigonometry Show and uh, like I've mentioned a few times in the last week or so, I've been very lucky to line up Ryan Kleckner for a chat. Um, Ryan, as I've done a bit of research on to what he's up to, he's, he's a very busy, diverse man, so uh, Ryan, appreciate you taking the time and um, welcome to the Trigonometry Show. Thanks for having me on, Kerry. More than happy to be here. So um, we we had a little bit of a, a false start thanks to maybe some rain here and some internet issues your end as well. But we'll we'll sort of <laughs> yeah. um, as as the wonder of technology is, it's a great thing. I'm talking to somebody over the other side of the world, and at the same time, it, it's you know it comes with its own challenges. But um, uh, I, I suppose just want everyone to remember that if we don't say something perfectly now. You should have heard it the first time. It was perfect. Yeah, it was phenomenal. <laughs> Best podcast ever on the net. Ever. Ever. Unfortunately, I only recorded one side of it, so. <laughs> so, um, one thing we did say, which I think I think you, you sort of summarised well, is you're possibly one of the, uh, the terminology, the best known, least known shooting personalities on the internet and certainly on YouTube. And it's... <laughs> yeah. it's it's funny as I go back and you just do a search for anything in, in Google or specifically in YouTube, whether it's mounting a scope, cleaning a rifle, what is MOA, what is MIL, all these things, is without fail, you are gonna, uh, your face is going to pop up there. And some of the videos now are, are quite a few years old as well. So while there's a um, massive influx in the last couple of years of people doing content for the, the, the net, we'll say, you've been doing it for a long time. So how... Through through the NSSF and something I forgot to ask last time as well as I always saw the NSSF and didn't quite understand what it was. So maybe um, just <laughs> not many people here understand what it is either. <laughs> you know, oh, okay, all right. Well, you know what I mean. Uh, uh, the National yeah. Shooting Sports Foundation. It, it, I always used to think, well, was it like a shooting club or is it a range or what? It, what exactly is it? So I, I suppose it's just a brief bit of history. What what is the NSSF and how did you end up doing um, all these videos almost years ago before people were doing these videos? Yeah, I'm like I'm like the the old man of long range shooting now. It feels great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the National Shooting Sports Foundation is the uh, Firearms Industries Trade Association for the U.S. Okay. So you have the NRA represents the <laughs> consumer the gun owner and the NSSF represents the gun manufacturers, distributors, and dealers. Right. Yep. So have you ever heard of shot show? Yes. Yep. Shot show is owned and ran by the NSSF. Ah, uh, okay. Gotcha. So is a, anything dealing with the firearms industry is NSSF. So there's a bunch of government relations side of things. There's a bunch of programs, there's industry efforts. There's even something called Sammy. Have you heard of Sammy spec yep. for ammunition? Yep. That's the NSSF. Gotcha. So, I was actually, so it's, well, it's kind of a sister company of the NSSF, and I was in law school in Connecticut, and it's a big deal to get your first summer internship in law school, and I found out the NSSF was right there in Newtown, Connecticut, and so I went and applied for a, to be a summer intern, you know, to be legal, you know, work there, hmm. and uh, it was it was a nice internship, and they had offered me a job by the end of the summer, so man, we'd love you to stay on, keep working on federal government relations efforts, and so I'd love to, we stayed on, and they have their own video production studio there, and they have all sorts of nice equipment and amazing tools. And I started started befriending the guy that did videos. He said, hey, you you used to teach long-range shooting, right? You think you'd ever want to do a long-range video? And I said, sure, let's do one. And I actually made some people upset because the first video was how to set up your scope, where I just 
like to analogize setting it up, uh, setting up a scope and rifle to like setting up a car for yourself with, you know, yeah. adjusting the seat, the steering wheel and the mirrors and that the best driver out there is never going to get the performance they expect if the car isn't set up right. And I love analogies. I might even be handicapped by make, having to make analogies all the time. But I stand there for, I don't know, 15, 18, 20 minutes in this video just as a talking head and explain, hey, here's what you may not have done when you're setting up your scope. And, hey, did you know this is what this is for and this is why you should do this? And some people got upset because they said, well, you can't ever make you know, a YouTube video longer than three minutes or people won't watch it. This is back then. Yeah. And we said, you know what? We think maybe you can if it's information that people want to watch. So let's try it. And mm. it worked out. People started liking the video and they wanted more. And we said, well, I'll do some more. So I just walked downstairs to the video and said, what do you think is next? People ask what is men of the Vanguard a lot. Great. I've got an easy way to explain that. And then we just did video to video. And uh, a couple of years, the NSSF ended up moving along to Remington. I ended up becoming the vice president of Remington Outdoor Company. And just traveling like crazy to all those, you know, sister companies. And then I actually ended up being able to go back a little bit to the SSF because I was a voting board member on Sammy. So I got to go back to be on the board of the company I worked at. That was kind of neat. Um, and went on from Remington and kept just worked my, you know, what off there. And when I finally had enough, I thought, you know, I've always wanted to do my own work in the firearms industry. I mean, collecting a paycheck and having a cool executive job is really, really neat, but it's very, mm -hmm. very stressful too. Mm -hmm. And so I went to go out and go on my own and I'm probably getting ahead for your next question, but I already know where you're going, Carrie, because we did this before. The whole interview just flowed so well. It's like they'd already <laughs> gone through all of it. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. It's all good. It's all good. I, I kind of had to go back and look at those videos. This is where it's all related still. As I went back and looked at those videos, and it had been maybe five years at that point, I said, what about those videos worked? Yeah. Sure, the lighting was nice. Sure, I think they did a great job editing them. Uh, yeah, I'd like to think that I was great, but what was great about them? Why mm -hmm. do people give a couple million views to what is a minute of angle? Yep. And I thought, you know what? I think the difference is we all – I can't take all the credit for it. You know, We decided – to break the information down as simply as possible. And we came at it with the approach of, hey, you can do this. Mm. It's not that complicated. You can figure this out. And whereas, especially five years later, the trend I see with long-range shooters, especially on forums and other so-called experts, is they, they try to protect, I call it tab protecting, because it's kind of a term for the military, but what they try to do is they try to protect their circle and say, I'm so tough, I'm so much of a bad A. I'm so amazing. Only I can do this. And look how complicated this is. And they will say things, I swear, in a more complicated way just to have people be impressed with how good they are at something. And I think that discourages people. And I think it's confusing. Mm -hmm. So I took that simple approach and decided, you know what? If I'm going to have a brand, that's my brand. Yeah. Is the, I'm going to oversimplify this sometimes to a detriment just to be able to make it easy to explain and just to try and get people into shooting. So that's where I'm at. Well, it's an, uh, I was having a conversation with a person last night as well, and we've been having this conversation for a little while, and I even remember it in, in previous roles I've had, is they've now been spending probably close to six months, if not more, humming and harring and trying to decide between their first rifle build and what cartridge it should be or what caliber because every time they go online they read another article about this yeah. is good and this is good and of course by the time they figured out there's another new uh, darling cartridge
cartridge out as well, um, cartridge out as well. So they spend all this time trying to figure out what they should be doing. Whereas I get to a point, it's like, well, I explain to them, look, I I tend to overanalyze some of this stuff. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. But basically, what you need to do is make a decision and get out shooting, and then mm-hmm. they're all good options. This is this is the thing we become we can become very nitpicky about this stuff, but. Most modern firearms with a good scope and, and any one of a dozen cartridges are all going to do the job for you, but you just need to get out and start using it and you'll very quickly start realizing you're going to have your own preferences and you're going to orientate yourself a little bit. But unless you figuratively pull the trigger and get going, that you'll you'll be reading the the internet for the rest of your life, you know? You're absolutely right. So I want to prove myself right and make two analogies here. Uh, <laughs> I've got one for you. I'm thinking one for, for you. For, we'll see for shooting for cars. Okay, yeah. so I like to analogize the shooting to cars. And one way I like to do it is when people ask me all the time, hey, what gun should I get? Or what scope yeah. should I get? Or what caliber should I get? I've now just learned to respond with, I don't know, what car should I get? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean? I said, really, which car should I get? Should I get a, a Toyota Prius or should I get a Ford F-150? And they yeah. pause and they, they can't believe I'm really asking them. I, I say, no, I, I play the joke out too long. I said, really, which one should I get? I said, well, I guess it depends. What do you want? I go, aha, it yeah. depends. Yeah. If I want good gas mileage and I want a commuter car, then the Toyota Prius. If I want to haul lumber, I get the Ford F-150. And by the way, both are horrible at each other's jobs, yeah. <laughs> right? So yeah. I have to ask first, what do you want it for? And then the second one is, if you've decided you want a car – for just general purpose driving or a gun for general purpose long range shooting, not just competitions or hunting Mm -hmm. or anything like that. And you're sitting there nuancing over, do you get an Acura Integra or do you get a Lamborghini or do you get a Ford GT? And well, I read on this sheet that the Ford GT is more torque with them and you get into the weeds like guys do, Mm -hmm. but you got to remember something when you're in the weeds like that, as a new shooter, you don't know how to drive yet. Mm. So this is like somebody that came to me and said, hey, Ryan, I want to get into driving. Should I get the Lamborghini or should I get the Ford GT? Yeah. My answer is neither. <laughs> you should get the Toyota Corolla. Yeah. Right? Or the Honda Accord. You should get a car that is reliable, affordable, and easy to learn on and go drive it until you realize, oh, I want to get a rally racing car or I mm. want a drag racing car. or mm. It's just – you would never recommend the new driver go learn to drive on a Lamborghini. Yep. Likewise, I don't think a new shooter should learn to drive on the most customized spec out rifle because they're going to make a, make a mistake. Like right now, I think the best value going is a Tika TAC A1 and mm-hmm. 6.5 Creep. It's got everything you need. It's got a good enough trigger. It's got a super smooth action. It's good enough accuracy as a chassis system if you like that. It's in the cartridge that's very forgiving and available. I mean, just get that and be done. And then next year, when you decide what you want to tweak, at least you're making an informed decision. Well, it'll be funny because there'll be a few people who will be listening to this and laughing because the the TAC A1 has been my sort of darling rifle for a little while. Big part of it for me has been that I can get it, I'm left-handed, so I can get it in a left-handed version. So guys are just like, yeah, my my question is, are you left or you're right-handed? Let's go set it up. We had um, three guys out shooting week before last so we had three of the tac a ones on the on the line one guy had never shot a rifle before the other guy had been crossing over from doing a lot of ar and pistol shooting and was getting into the long range game 
And it was just great to see all of them were getting great results out of it. And it, th- that particular firearm, it just seems you can feed it nearly anything uh, factory-wise, for ac- factory ammo for us, so we don't have to be reloaders um, and, and get results that are good enough that you can start determining where it's a limitation of your firearm, where it's a limitation of you as well. Um, but for most of myself included, it's it's my shooting that is the letdown of the whole process. Not really the equipment I have or have access to these days, anyway. True, and no matter what rifle it is, the shooter is always the most inaccurate part of the system. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean that's not an overstatement. Picture the junkiest rifle you can imagine. You still are the most inaccurate part of that system because no matter what rifle it is, it'll shoot better bolted into a vice than it will at your shoulder. Yep. So even if it's a junk rifle and it shoots 10 minutes of angle, I don't care. When you shoot it, you're going to shoot 10 and a half minutes of angle. Yeah. Yep. Right? Because you're going to have the little nuances. So if you realize that you're the most inaccurate part, yeah, you need to get good enough with the rifle. Uh, I did a – so we went back and did some more videos of the NSSF recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, they prompted me to do my to write my book, and the same, I did the same thing in the long-range shooting handbook. I just broke down things simply and made analogies, and people love it. That thing, I'm very surprised. I'm very happy it went gangbusters. Yes. And the NSSF, I reached out to them, and I said, guys, why don't we do more videos? And they responded with, oh, thank God. We're glad you asked. We'd love to do more. <laughs> well, why didn't you just ask me? We could have done this. And so we went out and knocked out, I think, 23 videos in two days. Wow. Because I'm used to just, I'm used to teaching this stuff, right? So yeah. I used to teach this professionally. So it's easy just to go, all right, what are we going to cover next? That, great. You're rolling? Good. And I would do the video. I'd stop and go, next. And it was so fun to do that we were making up stuff. And towards the end, I had a TAC A1 there. And I said, you know, we really should do a couple of videos of the TAC A1, show Beretta some love, mm-hmm. you know, because I sent a rifle out for us to use. And I said, well, first I got to zero it. So hold on real quick, guys. And I went down and I, I stapled a target, a 100-yard target. And I said, wait a minute. Why don't we do a do how high zero it? rifles? And so we did, a, I think it's 20 minutes of mm-hmm. one continuous shot. Yep. So it's not one, it's one camera angle, one camera shot, no cuts, no edits, no anything. I even make a mistake in the video. And I'm glad I did because I show people, hey, look, here's a mistake I made. We could either stress out about it or we can di- try and diagnose it, learn from it, and move on. And I show that, and we move on, and I think I shot nine rounds out of that rifle. Mm. And I shot a five-round group at the end to confirm the zero, and I shot three of them into a ragged hole. I got up off the gun, looked at the camera, and said, you know what, let's shoot a couple more. And the couple more were like a third of a minute away in the same hole. Factory gun, factory ammo. What more could you possibly want out of a brand-new gun? Well, and that video is a good example also, I think, of your teaching style because it's very easy for some people who may have all the knowledge in their heads, but once they start trying to teach, it can get convoluted very quickly or they're trying to inject too much information and extra details and everything into it. But I think like your videos, like your book, it it just keeps it to the... Um, it keeps it simple enough so it's easy to digest and actually take on and it's useful for it because there's many great shooters who are not necessarily great teachers and, and vice versa and I'm not saying this is more reflecting on me as people who are teaching aren't necessarily good shooters but they um, just enjoy conveying that information in a, in a clear way and that's that sometimes I think you can get confused between the two as well. Yes, so. I, I believe that if I had, if I opened up a shooting school that I owned and I wanted to have, you know, instructors out there, I'd have a few guys there because their pedigree. But I would yeah. rather have good teachers that weren't as good at shooting. 
Yeah. Because I can take someone that doesn't know how to shoot, but is a quality teacher that knows how to explain things, knows how to talk without saying, um, or like every five words or mm-hmm. without getting, you know, tripped up or they know how to break down the concepts so that people can understand each concept at a time and then put them all together at the end. All those things are much harder to teach. So I'd rather have someone that could do all that. I could teach them how to shoot or teach them how to teach shooting. And I think they'd be a better shooting instructor than someone that was great. And when I was teaching full time, Tiger Woods was the best golfer in the world. So I'm dating myself a little bit. Okay. <laughs> he was, he was dominating everything when I was teaching military sniper students. Okay. And every once in a while, I'd get a guy that wants to get into a pissing contest with me of, you know, who's more tough or who's got more experience or who, whatever. They show up to the class and like, Hey buddy, great. You win. You're cooler. Mm-hmm. You're here to learn from me. Or tell you what, I know you're re- rejecting me, my technique or my, what I'm trying to show you or what I'm trying to have you try, but you got to try it. And what you're going to find out is either you hate it, at which case now you know why you hate it and you know never to do it again mm-hmm. or it works for you. But either way, you got to try it. And they'd say, well, I just, you know, I've been doing this for this many years. I, again, I get it. I've been teaching thousands of military and police and sniper students. But I'd use this Tiger Woods analogy. I'd say, who's the best golfer in the world right now? I'd say, well, it's Tiger Woods. I said, okay, did you know that Tiger Woods trains every day with a coach? He said, no, I didn't know that. Said, well, he does. He trains every day with a coach. And if Tiger Woods is the best golfer, we know that the coach cannot be as good as Tiger Woods. Sure. The coach must be a worse golfer than Tiger Woods, but yet Tiger Woods still learns something from him. <laughs> I'm like, so I'm not gonna, even going to try to compare here, but even if I am worse than you, there's still something you could probably learn from me. Yeah. And so that's where, that's where I believe a good coach is, is not someone that's the best at something that doesn't know how to teach you to do it. Because I've seen plenty of good shooters that just say, shoot better. <laughs> yeah. That's their advice. Yep versus somebody that can get in there and know what they're looking for. So keep that in mind when you're looking for training. You know, Don't always chase the pedigree. You might be disappointed in the course. Well, it, it's, it's sort of I've, I've done courses as well, and I, I've sort of found the, the biggest thing or the biggest benefit to me is sometimes not necessarily, I mean, obviously at the end of the day it's about hitting the target, but it's not necessarily about having somebody who can walk you onto a target by good calls. It's often mm-hmm. about somebody who's actually not looking at the target. They're looking at you and looking at your basic, basic position. Which is where it should course. be, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, then I guess if it's like the military guys, I know where they'll kick your heel or maybe the civilian version where they'll just tell you your heel is up, you know, there's like training difference um but yeah just that observation because it's very hard when you're behind that rifle to be aware of exactly everything else that's going on and a simple comment from the guy behind you going do you do realize every you know couple of shots you slap that trigger and now you become aware of it now you can actually do something about it. exactly right i like Mm. students coaching each other too beginning of courses i love if i have 10 guys i love five guys shooting a group while the other five are staring at the next guy and when they're done i say tell them something they did well and something they need to improve on Yep. And you learn a lot by coaching somebody else. You're like, oh, wow, look how he does the trigger and vice versa. So I think that's great. I also think it's more important to miss a target and know why you missed than it is to hit a target and not know why you hit. Mm. So that's what also what I like about training too is I don't want to just get you onto the target and we hit the target and high five. I want you to miss. I want to go, okay, stop. What happened there? Well, I missed. I don't care that you missed. What did you see in your reticle? Were you focusing on the reticle or were you focusing on the target? Oh, yeah, I was focusing on the target. Aha, that may be why you missed. Let's try and fix that. Because if you're just accidentally hitting the target sometimes, you're never going to be able to replicate that. But if you miss and you're able to say, you know what, I did this one thing wrong, I want to focus on the next time, you're actually going to get better now. 
So sort of feeding off that then, what are your thoughts uh, in regards to first rifles? And the, the obvious two examples we're going to give, because it's just used a lot as now, is like a 6.5 Creedmoor versus, say, a 308, with the benefit mm-hmm. of, of a 308 where you're going to have to work a little bit harder in regards to um, the BCs and wind calls and everything versus something that's going to be faster. or that Even a 6.5 Creed now, is there's more what they, would, they in PRS they term the wind cheaters, you know, the, the, the laser mm-hmm. guns. Um, what's your thoughts in regards to starting with something like that versus something that is is harder to shoot? I mean, is there a point in not handicapping or just starting with something simpler before you have a? a I don't fire? think so. I, I can yeah. see how you on, on when you the topic being brought up on, on yeah. first glance, it sounds like it might be a good thing to do, right? Yeah. Like when, if you're weight training, you don't go get lighter weights, right? The point of weight training is you want heavier weights, right? You want to get more work and more energy, but Another analogy would be if you want to get into cycling, arguably you're going to get stronger and better at cycling by getting the cheapest Huffy bike you can get. Sure. Right? The cheapest, yeah. cheapest, cheapest bike that's super heavy and yeah. the wheels don't roll very well. Man, you're going to get stronger and better at cycling by on that than you would by getting a quality cycle, you know, bike. Mm. But I would still say, let's not handicap yourself too much. Um, I think <laughs> now you go 6.5 Creedmoor. I say, yeah, why yeah. Why do that? If you're going to work on the fundamentals, handicap yourself, I'd rather you get a 6.5 Creedmoor with a nice setup that you can actually be effective with. And then go get yourself a 22 trainer. Sure. Go get yourself a 22 long rifle, shoot it at 100 yards, and that's going to get you good at you know your fundamentals with being inexpensive and things like that. I just, sure, you are going to get really good at calling wind for 308 by forcing yourself to shoot 308 for a while. Mm-hmm. But what in the world is that going to do for you if you're just going to graduate to a 6.5 Creedmoor and none of that's going to transfer anyway. Well, that, that's true. Well, you suddenly don't need that that skill, I suppose. The other right, or if you need the skill, you're you have my handicap, which is I see in three hundred eight. Sure. When I look through a spotting scope and see the wind, I go, "Oh, that's about three quarter mil left in three hundred eight." My brain just looks in three hundred eight. I always have to convert to six hundred yeah. more. It's not bad. I don't wish I did it differently, but you're going to end up with that problem yep. because that's what I do. I'm used to I'm used to what wind does to a three hundred eight bullet. That does not help me at all when it comes to 6.5 Creedmoor. So I'd say just get the gun you're going to get mm. and get good at it, you know? So, and again, sort of leading on that, and it's sort of because you the wonders of the internet, you can read the theories both ways. The other part that comes into that as a thought is uh, recoil management. So mm-hmm. maybe to that weight analogy of or the bike analogy of having something that's going to recoil a bit more versus when you're actually game day or main shooting something that recoils left uh, less, because then that goes the opposite idea of, of the 22 trainers now. That they're, again, it's just a topic of, of I'm interested in your uh, I see what you're saying. Uh, I don't agree with it still. I, again, yeah. it's one of those things that sounds good at first blush, but you're, you're, it's kind of the theory for people that play baseball. They put a donut on the bat so it's heavier yeah. to swing. Yeah. And they practice. And then that way it's lighter when it comes to game day. Uh, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I think that when you're learning to shoot especially, and maybe always, you should be dry firing your rifle more than you're firing it live. Sure. I think you're going to diagnose more than that. And that clearly is not recoil management training, right? That clearly is not figuring all that out. And if you do want to get good at recoil management, you should be shooting, yes, your full-power rifle without a doubt to get Mm -hmm. it. But I don't think there's anything, any benefit to shooting a monster of a gun to desensitize yourself to recoil mm. and then shoot a lighter later, I think all you're going to end up doing is introducing a flinch into the problem. Yeah. Well, right? it's, that's like, the other end of it. Yes. Yeah. It's like, why, why, why practice for something heavier? If you need to get good at recoil management, shoot what you're going to shoot. 
Mm. You know, I, I'm, how many, I mean, I'm probably 20 analogies deep now. Guys in the military used to always ask how you got better at push-ups, right? Because trying to do your push-up tests. and yep. say, well, I'm going to work on my triceps and I want to do a bunch of dips. I'm going to do this. I'd stop and go, you know how you get better at push-ups? Do push-ups. Yeah. Right? So if you want to get better at shooting your gun, shoot your gun. Yeah. Don't get a bigger gun to somehow shoot your gun better. So right? The only reason I say is to save money on ammo and it's the closest thing you're going to get to drive practicing because you're not going to be able to hide your mistakes in the recoil. That's why drive practicing works. Yeah. Is, you know, every you flinch on a gun, and by the way, I still do it. I still catch myself even with a handgun or whatever. Every once in a while, I'll catch myself flinching. You catch yourself flinching when there's an empty chamber or the, you know, the gun's empty or on a malfunction. That's when mm-hmm. you catch yourself. And that's not because you just only happen to flinch when there's a malfunction or an empty chamber. What that is telling you is you're flinching all the time but it's being hidden by the recoil and it's yep. only becoming visible when the chamber is empty. So yeah, I don't think that it, again, it sounds like an interesting theory, but no, if you're going to shoot six, five Creedmoor, I want to go six, five Creedmoor, go get a six, five Creedmoor and shoot it. Mm-hmm. I don't see any benefit in having a completely different caliber and learning the wind and learning the everything on the cost and everything of a different caliber just to switch over and have to relearn all your elevation adjustments and relearn all your wind behaviors and wind calls mm. to a new cartridge. So, uh, six five Creedmoor. Um, there was a thing going around that still persists a little bit, as there is when there's any anything new seems to be in the shooting industry as well. That the six five Creedmoor is not really a hunting round. Now, there's a photo on your Facebook page uh, very recently that again just puts that one to rest with the elk, which is is not small game is not even medium it's a it's a big animal that has been dropped by the the two small six five creedmoor um any i mean the uh, same thing i tell people it's like it's it's projectile selection as well and it's where you hit the thing you shoot many things in the guts with a doesn't matter what you hit them with it's not going to do very well um yeah but, if, I, if i shot an elk in the antler with a 50 bmg he's not yeah. going down yeah right so I, I'm still, I'm a little torn on the 6.5 Creedmoor still. I think I'm finally a convert and that it took me this long to finally convert over to 6.5 Creedmoor when everyone else jumped on the bandwagon. I'm very reluctant to adopt the newest cartridge. Yeah. And there's good reason for that. Oh, sorry, we have sirens in the background <laughs> downtown here. Uh, I'm very reluctant to do that because the 260 Remington is effectively the 6.5 Creedmoor. Sure. It's my, it's a, within a rounding error of the same cartridge. Mm. Okay. Had I jumped on the bandwagon when the 260 Remington came out, what, 15 years ago? I would have a bunch of rifles in 260 Remington now. Yeah. Yep. And I would be bummed out because 65 Creedmoor has clearly won. Mm-hmm. So thankfully, I didn't jump on the bandwagon. I waited to see which one won, <laughs> right? Or else I'd have a bunch of 260 Remingtons, which were the same dang thing. Yeah. But now I waited. It's tried and true. It's available in every store. It does that. Okay. So now I finally come on to the 65 Creedmoor. I finally get it. Slow to the game, but I get it. Now, for hunting, I've used it quite a bit for hunting. Mm-hmm. I took it to South Africa, and every animal there that I killed was 6.5 Creedmoor. Yeah. Wildebeest, Warthog, Impala. Uh, the guys we were with, we probably had 15 animals altogether with 6.5 Creedmoors. Mm-hmm. Kudu, mm-hmm. which are easily the size of elk with 6.5 Creedmoor. I've now had an elk with 6.5 Creedmoor. So, yes, it's capable, but I also took an elk a month ago with a 300 PRC. Yeah, and I like, and they're both just as dead. <laughs> you know, they, neither one of them ran away, but I do like the idea of a little more ump. So, if the question is, 
Is the 6.5 Creedmoor capable of hunting big game? Absolutely. I, I've done it. Tons of other people have done it. It was an effective, ethical, quick kill, everything. But it was because I had the right shot placement. Mm. You know, this cow I got a couple days ago, she was quartered at me, and I knew I could sneak it in above the front of her shoulder. Like I actually picked the spot on her at about 215 yards that I was going to put that bullet into and make it work. Yep. Had I missed that spot and hit her shoulder, there's a great chance this happens, by the way, with even bigger cartridges, wouldn't even go through the shoulder. Mm. That's how elk can be. So yep. even you know, 30 out six or three wind mags sometimes will stop on a shoulder on a milk. So that even wouldn't have been enough. So it was all about shot placement. Mm-hmm. Had I made a bad shot, it would not have worked. So yes, 6.5 Creedmoor is capable, but I don't know if it's the best choice. Because I've also seen plenty of examples from other people or heard plenty of stories where they have a not the ideal shot and it doesn't work. And when you have a hunt and you have you owe it to the animal to make an ethical kill um, and you have the option – if you had the 300 PRC and the 65 cream were both sitting there and you said, which one should I take on my elk hunt? Take the 300 PRC. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, two, two, three will kill an elk. Yeah, I yeah. could have killed that elk. I killed a couple days ago with the two, two, three right in that pocket without a doubt. It would have gone in. It would have taken out her heart. No problem. Yep. But why, you know, mm. why not give yourself extra? So it's completely capable. I, I gave all this hedging just because I don't want people to think that I'm telling you that it's the ideal cartridge for it. But this is, I think this is the thing that is the, to give a yes or no, and this will tie into my next question as well, that it's yes, okay, or no, it's not okay, is too simplifying many of these subjects, because there's a lot of parameters and there's a lot of, someone will say, oh, what, is a 6.5 creed more suitable for hunting? It's like, well, hunting what? At what distances? And there's yeah. a lot more information in it for for small like our fellow deer or seeker deer even where if somebody especially in the North Island here which is that's primarily where we're hunting occasional red deer which is elk size but small then six five will do but if you want to go for those big animals then well, maybe it's a slightly different conversation but yeah or even for the red deer if it's quartering away from you at yeah. 300 yards you might need something to drive through so it's will 22 long rifle kill a person. Yes, it yep. definitely will. Is it enough to kill a person? No question. Does that mean it's the best cartridge for self-defense? <laughs> yeah. No. But if it's better than a sharp stick, mm. yeah, so it's whether it'll work or not is 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 one question. And what's what's most ideal or will give you the most forgiving, you know, performance. You know, the six five cream war is beautiful because of how little it recoils and has a short action. So you can get a relatively light rifle with not a whole lot of recoil. And by the way, I'd rather you shoot a 6.5 Creedmoor that you're not afraid of shooting than a 300 Win Mag that you flinch every time. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd rather you hit and the animal. You don't animal. want to practice with yeah. because you're scared of the gun. Exactly right. Yeah. Hit the animal where it needs to be hit. And if that means that you need to get a 6.5 Creedmoor or even something smaller, a 6mm Creedmoor, great. Uh, I was hunting with Kyle Lamb. Mm. His elk that he took right next to mine, he took with a 6mm Creedmoor. It, it didn't even get up. Yeah, we we found it bedded down. He shot it, and it just rolled over. So yes, clearly effective. Mm. But unless you're able to make it work, and you if you want to be a little more forgiving and risk hitting that shoulder, start bumping up the weight. You know, yeah. there, there's no there's no um, accuracy is final, right? What is it? Speed is fine, but accuracy is final. Mm-hmm. I forget what, what, who says that, but kind of the same thing here with hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever's going to get you the best shot and the most ethical kills, which you should go with. And then bullet selection is a big part of that too. Yeah. 
So feeding into that as well, and again, I'm not looking for a yes, do it, no, don't do it, but the the thoughts on the long range hunting. And what what's interesting now is I talk to, say, a new shooter, he's like, oh, I want to get into this long range hunting. And the, I've learned the first question I need to ask, well, what do you feel long range is? Because obviously for a lot of people, two, three hundred is actually long range. Um, Correct. So the equipment is, has given people the perception of making it easier, um, but what's the key, I suppose, for people? Uh, uh, maybe here's a question. What, what would be your suggestions or tips for people who are wanting to stretch out their effective ethical range? Uh, one is, yeah, what's the ethical range? I, yeah. I'm convinced that a lot of these guys are trying to be, uh, they want to be snipers. Mm-hmm. And so they like the concept of killing something from far away. Um, I don't want to judge them on it. I just think that might be their motivation. Yeah. I've long said that if your biggest risk is missing the target, then you're target shooting because mm-hmm. that's the focus of your goal and effort is to hit the target. If your biggest risk is spooking the animal, then you're hunting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. that's how I define it. So if you're shooting an elk at a thousand yards, I don't know if I'd call that hunting as much as target shooting. Yeah. Cause you could probably stand up and talk to your buddy and then lay down on that prone and get situated and take that shot of a thousand yards. Cause you're not worried about spooking the animal. You're probably target shooting. Now, is that a bad thing? No. Mm. Do I get to, do I get to judge you and, and say what you're doing is right or wrong. Absolutely not. Mm. If you're making an ethical kill and you're harvesting the meat and you're going out and doing it. And even though I'm picking on the word hunting or not, uh, who am I to stop you from doing it? None of my business, right? I don't need to know, your why for doing what you're doing now when it comes to what distance is effective though i think you need to be honest with your capabilities and the cartridges capabilities so i had no problem shooting 200 in a small change with 65 creedmoor not sure i would take a 1500 yard shot with 65 creedmoor on an elk it's going to have the energy or even if i made the perfect shot that the elk is not going to move by the time the bullet gets there (laughs) right yep so we have ethical issues there i would tell people when they practice for hunting they need to practice more realistic types of shooting anyway. I would love to see someone do 50 jumping jacks, 10 or 20 push-ups, another 15 jumping jacks, another 10 or 20 push-ups, and then pick up the rifle and from the standing position <laughs> hit a pie plate-sized target at 100. Yeah. And if you can hit a pie plate-sized target, maybe even take a knee, but no on the prone completely mm. or maybe resting against a post like a tree, but a uns- relatively unsupported position, hit a pie plate. If you can hit a pie plate, most of the time or every time you're ready for hunting at that distance. Yeah. We're back to 200. And if you get to 300 and you can still hit that pie plate by resting on the tree and leaning into it with your heart pumping and breathing. Great. Then your effective range is 300. Mm. Now, if I was standing or kneeling, I still probably would have taken an elk at 200 yards, but I wouldn't have taken that elk at that angle. Cause I had to put it in a little tiny pocket that I was looking for. Sure. But I'd take a broadside elk at two or 300 standing. I, I have full confidence in my abilities to do that. And if the elk was at 600 and I had a big enough cartridge and I felt like that was hunting for me, I'd rather get closer personally mm-hmm. growing up as a bow hunter. But um, if I wanted to shoot that distance and I could get down into the prone and be resting on a bag and I felt confidence in that exact circumstance of the shot, of course I would take it. So I think it comes down to knowing what you are competently able to do. And it all depends what elevation you're at, what shape you're in, how hard you're breathing and things like that. So that's my thought. I would never find an animal and then try to go back and get a further shot like I've seen a lot of people do. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you say, if, it's a, if you're 
do that on a steel plate, do it on a Coke can at a kilometre if you want to prove a point or something like that, whereas the, the, the offside of it going wrong is pretty minimal. Correct. The animal deserves better. Yeah. So uh, a little bit of a segue then, but the other thing I I sort of observe, obviously involved a bit with social media being your Facebooks and Instagrams, is that um, how much do you think the the ability for people to basically end up with a feed of filtered, for lack of a better term, filtered kill shots at these distances and stuff, potentially skews the perception of, of existing and new shooters as to capabilities or maybe what they should be doing? So, to rephrase what you're asking, <laughs> you're saying that some of these, some of these impressive feats might be making people think that they could do better than. No one, no one, really puts, can? no one puts up all the photos of the misses, and I know they're happening. So oh, no one, sure. No one, no yeah, one puts up the photos of the wounded animals. Yeah, but no one puts up the photos of you arguing with your wife either. True, true. You know, <laughs> so no one puts up the photos. Of of the of the nasty hotel you're in or whatever, we always put the photos that are happy on the vacation, <laughs> not the kids laughing, right? So I think that is a byproduct of social media in general. Is yeah. that we we are creating artificial world artificial worlds for people that are unachievable standards in every part of our lives. So yes, I think that probably has something to do with shooting too. Um, I just hope that people practice for the hunt mm. and do what I said try to get get their butt off the bench after they're done doing the rifle and get in more realistic field positions and try shooting. Uh, a buddy of mine here in Tennessee made his own shooting course on his property. So he took uh, the, you know, mini IPSC, you know, chest size yep. steel targets, essentially a kill zone on an animal. I think he took 10 of them, maybe 15 of them, and he scattered them throughout his property in the hills. Mm-hmm. And he made a walking rifle course. Nice. And if you if you run and race, I think you can do it in 35 minutes with your heart <laughs> jumping out of your chest. That's how far it is between. That's I think it's a ways up and down the hills. Yeah, I've never done it that fast. If you just speed walk and just take you know, get going, it's almost an hour, 50 minutes, 45, 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so what you're doing is you're hiking down a hill. And you know where it is. There's a pathway to it, and you're walking up the hill, but yeah. you're getting your heart pumping. And this one, there's a horizontal log, and the target distance is 350. So you're <sighs> horizontal log. Okay, see if you can do it all in one shot the whole course. That is better hunting training and shooting training than I've had for anything on a range where you're sitting on a bench because now I actually know what it's like and my pack keeps getting caught on my rifle. I wouldn't have learned that at the range. Mm. Or the rifle sling keeps banging into my leg and ends up getting caught and everything. Or you get to actually test your gear by walking around and shooting, and it's fun, and it gets my heart pumping, and it teaches me my limits with a certain rifle. You know, mm. I took the Barrett Fieldcraft into Africa. That's a six-pound rifle. Rifle and scope of six pounds, tiny, tiny little thing. It's hard to shoot because it's so light. Mm. When you pick it up, there's no resting weight. It's just every movement you make, it's like a little, you know, conductor's wand just waving yep. around in front of you. It's so easy to move. I went and did that course a couple times before we went on the Africa hunt, mm. just so I started feeling competent of, okay, here's what a leaning against a tree 400 yard shot feels like. Ah, I can do that after all. And it gave me the confidence in the shot. Well, that's been uh, it's been good, obviously, for us down here in NZ watching in the US the development of of the the practical style shooting like the 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 PRS or the NRL. And down here, we would probably we're still probably calling them field shoots as such, which means normally it's a big area of land or um, almost like the steel safari, I think, as they have over there. It's sort of somewhere between that and and what the the more um, 
uh, practical side is getting where there's more. It's getting closer almost, I think, to IPSC rifle, IPSC pistol in some ways. It's a real mix yeah, of those two. Yeah, it is. Which You're is right. awesome. I actually enjoy that as a sport as well. But it's also been good for here because we have the, the, the target shooters, comp shooters, like myself, who did a bit of IPSC pistol. So I saw that and thought that's awesome. And then on the other side, you've got the guys who have been hunting, but maybe have never had a way to practice something a bit closer to hunting. Um, and would you say it's the same thing over there, that it's, it's just encouraging guys who all their practice traditionally has been on their stomachs to get up and shoot some slightly oddball positions? Oh, absolutely. You've, I've never seen so many barricade bags, mm. you know, tripod mounts. All these things have only existed because the competition world made them realize well, we got to make this shot harder. How do we make it harder? Well, let's make yeah. them lean up against something. You know, guys that would never would have tried that before. I go out to some rifle ranges and you see artificial roofs and barricades set up. Those would not have been there but for competition shooting having to yeah. put them in there. So I think it's great. Mm -hmm. So uh, going back sort of where we started, we were talking about your, um, your videos and your books and you've recently put out another book, There's Only One You. So what was uh -huh. what was sort of the prompt for that? I mean, I I see without doing too much Facebook stalking, I realize you have kids. Was that sort of part of it? You just saw there was hundred percent, hundred percent the reason. Yep. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to do another shameless plug uh, for Mayday Safety because that's they both came out of the same thing. Okay. So what I did is my daughter came home from school and she was spouting off all the water safety and fire safety things she just learned at school. She was okay. in kindergarten at the time. I said, okay, great, that's awesome. You stay away from a pool, and okay, excellent. And fires is what you do, that's amazing. And you could tell that they had been drilling in them all day, which is awesome, mm -hmm. they're supposed to be doing at school. But then I thought, being in the firearms industry, yes. aren't they teaching firearm safety? Yeah. Too many kids every year all around the world get hurt by firearms because they're playing with guns, and they could have been avoided, and I, I quickly answered my own question with, of course not. It's a school in America. They're not going to want to talk about guns. <laughs> That's like this big forbidden topic. Yeah. So it is doing a disservice because my kids are going to learn gun safety and they have. Yeah. But the person who doesn't like guns or doesn't have guns in their home is never going to learn fire safety. Mm. And it's clicked because we don't have a pool. But yet right. she learned pool safety. And she learned pool safety because someday she might encounter a pool away from my home. And yeah. it went click. I need to write a children's gun safety book that's not for gun families. Hmm. I need to write a children's gun safety book that works equally well for the non-gun families. Yeah. So I made each section, uh, the whole the book is a series of incidents or accidents that kids have that are inconsequential, spilling some flour, breaking a vase, things like that. And it's really corny, like a kid's book. You know, the mom and her dad says, oh, it's okay, accidents happen. I know it's true, but I'm always going to love you and this and that. And then at the very end, I even made sure that the parents and the family didn't have the gun just so it applied to some non-gun households. Sure. I made the kids go to grandpa's house yep. and grandpa had the gun. And then grandpa freaks out when one of the kids goes near the gun. And the kids end up rightfully saying, hey, Gramps, what, why did you get so upset about that? And everything else was not a big deal. And he mm. says, well, hey, those are things that can be cleaned up or replaced you can't be replaced. There's only one you, and this is what we need to do about guns. So I, I, I kept the whole concept the entire time of saying, even an anti-gun person, I want them to have this. Yeah. To say, your kid might come to my kid's house someday. I'm going to have guns, but I'm not going to have any of them unsecured. But you never know where your kid's going to encounter one, and they need to learn the safety for it. Well, that's also where Kyle and I, so Kyle Lamb and I actually 
are two of the three uh, co-founders of Mayday Safety, we did the same thing. We we're talking about seeing these school shootings and these emergencies on TV and said, we got to do something. And we're both blessed, along with our, our other partner, James West, we're, we're all blessed that we have lifestyles that we don't have a nine to five job. Mm-hmm. We can kind of put efforts wherever we want to for our projects. And for the past year, we have dove into like crazy building an app and software that allows people to send out immediate alerts and have good communication amongst schools and churches and businesses. And it, we're tickled pink about it because it actually works. And it's we're in 85 countries now. And that's why even the office I'm talking to you from right now, Vice, earlier this week, I'm down at the Mayday Safety Office. So yeah. um, it, it all both of those came out of the motivation of seeing we need to do something here. I'm in a blessed spot in my life where I'm able to do something about it. So shame on me if I don't. <laughs> well, we had in a similar way. I mean, we've got uh, well for a start, our licensing process for firearms is, is different in New Zealand. But we had a there was a report on the news recently of a kindergarten or, or a play center that the kids were running around with toy guns, and they decided, well, if we're going to let the kids run around with toy guns, why don't we put them through a firearms licensing process? Which meant that they taught the firearm safety side of it, and once the kids are shown they could handle the thing safely, they're allowed to run around with their toy guns, and they put targets up so that there was targets to shoot at, not run and point at each other, and all these things like that. And it's always interesting that there was obviously backlash, because some people got no further than what are you doing? It's like, well, it's toy guns. Toy guns are already in in the 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 play centers and at homes and everything anyway. We're just going to take it a little bit further. And on the assumption that kids want to and are attracted to these things, like shiny objects, mm-hmm. let's teach them the safe way and some basic safety rules about them. And again, for those people, yes. like it's interesting you say, it's not for the people who are responsible firearms owners who will be taking it upon themselves mm-hmm. to teach their kids it's for those kids that haven't had that and find themselves in a situation for whatever reason and ideally it would never happen but for whatever reason they come across a unsecured firearm what what should they be doing with it you're asking me what they should be doing no no saying? sorry i just realized i thought oh, okay. that no yeah. that maybe that's a kiwi yeah. accent no, no no it was just yeah, yeah more statement what, what yeah, yeah i agree now i'm a little weird on that one is i'm i'm a bit of a, a safety nut where I think a firearm, when it comes to kids, should either be under an adult's direct control and supervision yep. or should be out of the kids' access. Yep. I'm tired of so many guys that are you know, self-proclaimed gun guys that when I say, what about that gun set on the counter? You have a kid. And they say, oh, don't worry, it's unloaded. Mm-hmm. I want to lose my mind. They go, it's unloaded. It's not an acceptable answer. <laughs> or, oh, don't worry, the kid doesn't know where it's at. I want to go to the person – I'm going to tell that person, I'm going to go ask your parents if there was anything ever hidden in the home that you didn't know where it was at. And I'm going to ask you if you knew where it was at. I bet yeah. you did. Yeah. Kids know where things are hidden. So those aren't good answers. So part of the message of the kids book, in addition to being non-gun for non-gun people, it's actually for the parents because that's where the gun safety starts. Sure. That all being said, I am okay with kids playing with toy guns and pointing at each other. I know mm-hmm. maybe I need to grow out of that and I need to think about it more, but my current view on that is, no, it's a toy gun. Yeah, I don't want to overdo the safety and call everything a gun because then it almost diminishes the respect that a real gun gets. Yeah, yeah, it's an so, inter- it's an interesting one. After my kid, while my kids are still pretty young, it was the same time. First time I saw my little girl running around with a little red plastic revolver that was obviously a plastic revolver that um, her cousin had. Uh, she'd sort of taken off her cousin probably and was running around with it. And it's an interesting moment in my head. Is like, well, what do I actually think about this? Because I grew up playing army I've been with there my too. brother. Yeah. and We all did. So 
It, I don't. I don't have an answer on it for myself yet. It's something I'm just sort of processing, and, and you know, you go. But it one freaks way, you out, doesn't it? Of course, Seeing it does. A kid point a fake gun at another kid. My first instinct was to go, no, 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 yeah. never do that. And I stop and go, well, I did it too. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe there does need to be a toy gun because going so overboard on safety, like only being able to point at the targets, not point at each other. First off, we both know they're going to still point guns at each other. Yeah. Yeah, kids play. Kids go outside and play army. Which, by the way, anyone in the navy, I love picking on them. No <laughs> kid ever said, "Let's go outside and play navy." Right? They always wanted to go out and play army. So they're going to do it anyway, whether it's a stick or not. Yeah, I think we should allow kids to be kids and say, "Look, this is a toy. This is a real gun. Real gun deserves ultimate respect. Mm. Toy gun, have fun." And I guess it's a small chance, but there is a chance that maybe gives them the confidence. Oh, don't worry, I can pick up that real gun. Yeah, because I'm just going to shoot at the target or something like that. Next thing you know, they're shooting through the room into somebody else. Or yeah. I just, I, again, I might grow and change my mind on this one. But I'm, even though my wife doesn't agree with me, a toy gun's a toy gun. It's, it's meant to be playing, playing mm-hmm. soldier with, you know. And even for, as adults, we do training scenarios. I want to have force on force training. I want to be able to have people have toy guns, you know, either the cert laser training guns or blue guns or things like or simunitions. Yep. There are plenty of practical applications where I want even students pointing a gun-like object at each other. There's actual training reasons to do that. Yeah. And I think to say never, never, never should these things ever be pointed at each other if they're not a real gun, I think does a disservice to everybody. So I, I think we should be extremely safe with real guns, and we should relax a little bit on non-real guns. Well, it's interesting, and it? it's a sort of a bit of a sidetrack, but the thought maybe we'll even call it an analogy I had with that as well, was with the banning anything that represents a real gun or might be taken as a firearm or anything like that can potentially have the same situation, say, with alcohol, where I was brought up in a household where if we wanted to try a sip of the wine our parents were drinking or a, a, a mouthful of the beer under the controlled circumstances we're allowed to and normally especially with beer as a kid it tastes horrible so you very quickly decide well, why are the parents drinking that or adults drinking that anyway versus friends mm-hmm. i had who are banned and were basically nothing you go no 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 no. well as soon as they had the opportunity to get out of the supervision of the parents they went and started binge drinking um, exactly and I, I i don't know it's i'm not necessarily saying it's exactly the same with firearms but certainly if i agree if, with you that it can happen with yeah. alcohol not every time. No, no, but no. Yeah, it's and, and individual personalities always need to be accounted for in this as well. That's not well, we can't in America. Make. It's twenty-one, the drinking yeah. age, and that's the day it became not so fun to drink. Yeah, because yep. when I was allowed to do it, it wasn't near as fun, <laughs> right? I remember walking to a bar with my ID and going, "All right, card me," and they didn't even card me. Yeah, I was so disappointed that I get carded, <laughs> and I drank the beer and went, "Well, this isn't cool anymore." It, yeah. So you're right. There's a certain mysterious mystique to it. So that's why I'm saying. Let's not say everything is dangerous. Mm. Let's have ultimate safety and, and responsibility over things that need to have, and let's not around other things. Because if I make everything as protected as a firearm, I've arguably cheapened the firearm. Yeah. Well, it was interesting. Last last year, I did a what was basically a it was something called Big Boys Toys, which is essentially a uh, weekend where they've got. Fast cars, um, bikes, all, all sorts of stuff, big boys toys. It's like a not a trade show, a trade show for the public and they go along. But I was with a company that I think for the first and potentially only time had actual firearms there. And it was really enlightening for me seeing people who had never handled an actual firearm, probably never even seen one, and their attitude towards it versus anybody who had actually handled a firearms before. And it was quite startling because they didn't have that inherent level of respect that hopefully everyone 
who actually owns or uses firearms has for it. You know, p- picking up guns, uh, people, you're grabbing people and stopping people pointing the shotgun, uh, actual shotgun, mm-hmm. at somebody else because it just doesn't register that it's not a toy or that just, uh, it was just strange, just yeah. strange. So, I completely understand. Yeah. Mm. So, um, the, uh, when I knew I was interviewing, I jumped online and asked a couple of guys uh, for some questions that they wanted to an- uh, ask you. So, I've, uh, I've, Put a couple of down, and I've added added one in there as well. So maybe this is way we can sort of round this round this off, um, Brian. All right, sounds uh, great. So uh, first one was what What do you view as the most important part of a long range shooting system? Oh my god! <laughs> I, assume- I know when I wrote it down, I'm like, "Ooh, that's that's not a small pointed question." I assume they're asking. I'm going to make some assumptions here to answer the question. Go for um, it. I mean, if you include you in the system, it's you. Exactly. If you include only the equipment in the system, I would rather you have, and we're assuming the rifles are all relatively accurate enough, and we're just talking parts, <laughs> I'd rather you have a nicer scope than a nicer trigger or than okay. a nicer bolt handle or something like that. Because if you're tri- – so that's what I'm saying. I'm assuming everything else is good enough. Yeah. You know, everything else is acceptable, and you're going to upgrade something. Yeah. Uh, get a nice scope. Mm. One of the reasons is you can start to upgrade your rifle and trigger later and keep your scope and move along with it. The other is, uh, a nicer trigger isn't going to necessarily make you shoot better. If anything, that's one of the parts where I agree with you, Carrie, where having not the nicest trigger might make you a better shooter Mm. is you do get used to a worse trigger, a little heavier trigger. You're actually going to have to have better fundamentals and it'll make you learn better where a heavier or more recoiling rifle, I don't think will make you learn better fundamentals. Mm. Um, So just having a quality scope and you don't have to overdo it. It's not all about the glass. It's all about the repeatability of the adjustments. Sure. Um, Man, that's tough. I know it's a big. Uh, well, look, I'll, I'll, I'll refine a thing for you as well on the optics because I would be similar thinking that the for me of background for me a background photography I've always had a leaning towards good quality optics and glass and, and like I say repeatability is the key. Do you have a for guys buying say a rifle and a scope combo? Do you have a rule of thumb about how much they should be spending on the scope versus how much they spend on the rifle? Uh, that's a good leading question, Carrie. Isn't it just? The <laughs> yeah. uh, general rule is you need to be spending more on the scope than you do on your rifle. Yeah. Uh, but that's a general rule. All yeah. things can change. You, know, you, you go buy yourself a $15,000 Barrett 50 cal. I don't expect you to buy a $16,000 scope. You know, of course not. Uh, but if you have the budget and you're limited on what you can spend on the rifle and the scope, Another reason I like you spending a little more on the rifle and the scope is you can upgrade your rifle easier than you can upgrade your scope. A used rifle is easy to sell. Mm. A used scope is not. Mm. So get yourself a $500 rifle. If you have $2,000 to spend, get yourself a $500 rifle and a $1,000 scope and spend 500 bucks on training. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> but the reason is that $1,000 scope will actually work on the next better rifle that you get. Yeah. But if you chintz on the scope and think you upgrade it someday, you can, but you might as well throw that cheap scope away because mm. you're going to have a very hard time getting your money out of a, out of a cheap scope. Mm. Cool. All right. Uh, next question. Muzzle brake or suppressor? And I know that's uh, situation dependent, obviously, but I suppose let's give no, us. No, a- I, would, I would always rather have a suppressor. I can't yeah. think of a reason why I wouldn't rather have a suppressor. Mm. I mean, so- if it's illegal, I guess that's not a choice anymore. <laughs> suppressor is not illegal. You know, legal, but. Suppressor, a good suppressor will make a gun more accurate. It'll give you more muzzle velocity. It makes it to where it's less recoil. Mm. It makes it quieter so you don't flinch. 
I can't think of a negative except for maybe <laughs> adding some length to the rifle. Potentially. So just, uh, this, yeah. is a, this is a thing which is interesting for, so I'm not sure if you're aware, but in New Zealand, a, a suppressor is basically an unregulated item. Always been the case. Right. I can walk into a gun store, I can buy a suppressor, I don't even need a firearms license or anything, it is just a cash transaction. So when I when we have even Australia over the ditch, they come here, um, they're amazed because of how regulated suppressors are in, in Australia. Tool, well, it's changing in the US by my understanding, but very regulated over there. For the Kiwi guys who are listening to this going, because same mentality, why wouldn't you have a suppressor on everything? For me, because it's so easy to get. What's the current process for getting a suppressor in America? For guys you in New Zealand. A, you have to pay a $200 tax. So $200 US tax stamp on top of the cost of the item. Yeah. So you have to purchase the silencer, pay the normal sales tax on the silencer, and then you have to fill out a special form. The form, along with fingerprints and photos, goes to the federal government, along with a $200 check to pay for your tax stamp. And nine months later... The form may come back approved with an actual stamp, like a licked and stuck on stamp that says two hundred dollars <laughs> on it. It's really, it's really? I think it's neat to see a stamp. Yeah, yeah it says two hundred because it's a, you just bought a two hundred dollars stamp. Uh-huh. So that, that stamp is now on your on your paper that shows the tax has been paid and it comes back approved. And then you can go to the gun shop and pick up your silencer. And then you have to be careful which state you go to because it may not be legal in which state you travel across the, the border to. Or and how you can use it because some states they're legal for hunting, some states they're not. So it's it's, uh, it's very regulated. However, they're still extremely popular despite hmm. that process because it's just considered the cost of doing business. Well, for uh, now, I perceive it as basic PPE or personal protection equipment. It's a safety device. Mm-hmm. So yeah, why wouldn't you? If I want yeah. to teach someone new to shoot, I'm teaching them on a silenced 22. Yeah, because then we don't need earplugs. Yep. I don't have to yell at them. I can talk to them. They're not going to be afraid of the recoil. Yes, I agree with you. I, I would always rather shoot with a. What, I call them silencers because. In U.S. law, they're called a silencer. Sure. And though it's in vogue over here to call them suppressors, uh, the attorney in me always goes to the <laughs> length of the call silencers. But yeah, why wouldn't you want one on there? Of course. Why wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. Uh, like I say, it's always been an interesting thing because it's, it's that's one thing that's just so different or we're so lucky, I, I, I guess, in New Zealand. Well, not like in New Zealand, they're just such common. You know, we've got multiple people making them. You just go down the road, grab them, just put it on every new firearm. It's simple. Exactly right. right. So, uh, last question, which is one I added in there as well, is I saw you've done an article, 13 items every rifle shooter should carry in their range bag. Oh, yeah. I know. It's just, I know. Hey, it's possibly SEO. Anyway, my question on that is. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, My question is then, is the twist on it, what's in the range bag you always have in your range bag that would probably surprise people that you're carrying with you? Hmm. Good question. I will tell you what's not in there that surprises people hmm. is a, usually a wind meter. Right. I don't carry a wind meter with me. I don't know. I don't get that one. Um, what might surprise people is uh, my snacks and water bottles and rain jacket. I carry the most innocuous stuff that's in there, and I can't even tell you the list of what I carry in there because it changes every day. Sure. I I believe the the, ra- the rifle bag is part of the rifle system. Yep. So always in there, I'm going to have my dope information. I'm going to have earplugs. I'm going to have extra eye protection. I need it. ammo, magazines. I need them, tools to work on the gun, a little bottle of grease or oil, some patches, things like that. But then also a rain jacket and some snacks and some water and things mm-hmm. to keep me you know, in, in the game there. Yeah, that article was 
I, I hate that. That's the only article that's online I don't like of mine. <laughs> it's because I was serializing my book. I was taking some sections out of my book and putting them as articles. Right. And I gave them that content from my book, and it came. They they titled it as 13 Items Every Shooter Serves the Range Back." I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> in my book, it said this is at a minimum what I keep in my shooting bag or my rifle bag. Yeah. Because I'm always – I carry a first aid kit. I'm also an EMT. Yeah. So I carry tourniquets, I carry airways, I carry chest seals, I carry things like that. And so immediately everyone online is like, oh, no first aid kits? I'd, I'd <laughs> never go without first aid kits. And I'm like, oh, yes. I would always go to the range of the first aid kit, but I was talking you know, like a rifle bag. Yeah. What you keep in there. So uh, binoculars, I, I value binoculars more than a spotting scope. Okay. I yep. think you can see better with a quality set of binos. Um, I'll even use binos first to find something or to look at something and only then use a spotting scope if I need to zoom in on that area. It's yeah. just so much nicer and easier to see depth with quality binos. Mm, mm. Cool. All right. So, uh, look, I could keep on asking you questions all day, but I, I appreciate your time and I, I know we're up to that sort of that 60 minutes mark. There's a few things that we haven't covered off. I mean, your your podcasts, the um, – is it Gun University now – a pile of other Just projects. University, for sure. Yep. Yeah. I, I run Rocket FFL, which helps people in America get their FFLs, so they can you know avoid some of the gun regulations, get become gun dealers essentially from home. It helps. Yeah. So I teach the online courses there. I run Rocket CCW. I like the Rocket name that allows people to get the concealed weapons permit online in over half the country. I found kind of a legal loophole and I exploit it <laughs> for that one. Uh, Mayday Safety is the program I talked about. My books. I have too much to list. I, I'm, I'm I just thankful that you had me on That's and that we had a chance to talk about it. You know, people can Google Ryan Kleckner. It might be the easiest way to figure out what kind of trouble I'm in or what I'm well, up to. it's pretty simple. You go to your website. You've got links to most things. I can kind of delve deep. I'm started, I've added in the Going Ballistic podcast, so I'm playing a little bit of catch up on that as well. Um, but, yeah, basically, Ryan, th- thank you so much for your time. Much appreciated. Glad we got this done. And, um, yeah. I'm sure there'll be a follow-up soon with some more pointed and leading questions. <laughs> awesome. I'm ready for it. Thanks, Kerry. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to the Trigonometry Podcast. Please make sure you visit our site at precisionshooter.info where you'll find show notes, additional links, and a pile of extra information, including competitions and updates on events near you. While you're there, pop over to our Facebook and Instagram pages where you'll see regular updates on the goings-on in the precision shooting community in New Zealand. The way that this show grows is through people like you, so please, share on Facebook, and if you know someone who's into shooting and may be interested in checking this out, flick them over a link. And if you're listening to this through a podcast aggregator or some form of app, make sure you leave us a review, it really makes a difference. Thanks again to The Gear Locker and all our additional supporters. And most importantly, thank you, the listener. Without you guys, none of this could happen. Talk soon, but for now, go have a shoot.